Today's episode is brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 93. It is the third week of February. Just finishing up Valentine's Day and all that goes with that. We had some minor technical issues last week, so we had to delay this episode, but it is such a good one. I know you will be rewarded for your wait, so thank you uh, for all of your patience that uh, you gave last week. And I know you're excited. Uh, There is a lot of action going on around the world. My goodness, is it getting wild in other parts of the world. Um, Hopefully everybody is taking precautions for what could be a little bit of craziness this year, I think. Uh, That said, said, um, what has given us a little bit of hope, a little sunshine in our world, is the race season has officially started this past weekend with a divisional event down in Georgia. Um, Division 2 got us kicked off. Um, And I know some of you thought it started with the NASCAR race the week before, but please believe me when I tell you it did not. Now, I like the effort from NASCAR. I do. I like the fact that they took us out west. I like the fact that they put us in something very unique. I mean, the Coliseum, very cool. They tried something very, very new. Brought out uh, Ice Cube to kick that thing off. It was, uh, you know, whatever you want to say. They at least tried. They they tried very hard, and I like the effort. Um, in my opinion, it didn't quite live up to the hype. But the stadium looked cool, and they got it going. So I will forgive you for thinking that the race season started then. But no, no. Uh, It started this past weekend. We got it going, going down the straightaway, lighting them up. Um, And so 
given that, given that, we need to kick it off. Um, I had two great guests on today, so I mean, we're going to get into it in a hurry. Um, we're going to cover what can only be described as a great topic. Um, I get a lot of heat for this, a little bit of kickback, but it's a topic we have to cover, especially before we get too in the thick of it this season. Um, so coming on to defend the indefensible is Dean McIlvain from McIlvain Race Cars. He is one of, if not the best chassis builder in all of the land. He builds all kinds of cars, including roadsters. It's almost ridiculous. And then Mike Boehner, uh, he's a multi-time Division 7 Super Gas champion. Uh, my man is going to come on and tell us all the reasons why of course, those things are evil. So it was a great conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. So get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Work on that old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on. Get strapped in. Because here we go. All right, let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. We got a little bit of action here. Um, some news out of the Midwest Drag Racing Series camp. They announced new rules for top sportsmen, top dragster. Essentially, especially in the top sportsman side where this comes in, they moved the uh, max dial in to 529, which it was a 499 in the eighth. They moved um, the max dial for top dragster back to 499. So slowed it down a little bit. They're staying with the 32 car field. And they announced that, and of course, in an effort to get more cars in the class. Um, I, but I'm surprised, actually. Um, I thought they had a golden opportunity to follow the successful model that the PDRA has put in place and go to a 16-car field, um, and then maybe field an open comp-style event for those that didn't qualify for that. I think that is what we're hearing the racers want. I think we're wanting to hear that, hey, if you qualify, that is a big deal. Um, truthfully, I don't have all the information as to why it shook down the way it did, why the Midwest Drag Racing Series made that announcement, um, but we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I don't know that it was well received initially, maybe after a little more thought cooler heads have prevailed, but I will tell you this. Um, we know, and we've spoken about this before, the difference between fielding maintenance, etc., even, uh, safety wise on a low four second car and top sportsman and that same uh, low five-second car in Top Sportsman is significant. And that's what makes drag racing so unique to the sport. I mean, it, it really is the fastest sport on planet. One second means a lot in the eighth mile. Um, and so I think we're really chasing two different cars when we put those fields and those rules in place. So... Uh, we will see how this turns out for them. I'm chasing the folks at Midwest Drag Racing Series to get a little more insight on that uh, and just see what all swayed uh, their opinion to move in that direction. But they did make that new rule change. So in theory, 
that could open it up for a handful of new racers. And in in my mind, um, being optimistic, what I would hope for is that while the uh, folks that were going low fours, etc., in top sportsman, top dragster, and really let it hang out there, what I'm hopeful for is that this would give an opportunity to people who are on the backside of this thing, give them a taste for top dragster and top sportsman, and maybe maybe in, uh, entice them a little bit to get in, you know, and and up their game and and then run more and more in this in these classes. So I'm hopeful that what the Midwest Drag Racing Series is doing here is trying to entice more people into these classes, and then ultimately, uh, you know, invest more make their programs better and then maybe even go on to pro mod etc but uh at, at right now it was a it was a little testy um on the announcement but uh, i think their uh, their idea is solid and we will see exactly how this plays out for them this season so let me know what you think of the new rules and will that bring more cars to those classes All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by AFCO Racing. On with us now. We we rarely do this. I rarely do this. But tonight, we have two uh, two excellent guests coming on. They, they were willing to come on. One, um, Mike Boehner. He is a multi-time Division 7 Super Gas champion and uh, multi-time national event winner. Uh, Mike, what I can only be described as an intellectually handsome dude, um, and we'll get into that later. Um, and then we also have Dean McIlvain from McIlvain Race Cars, and he's going to do what I believe is impossible, which is try to defend roadsters today. And so uh, these two guys, man, I am so happy to have you with us. Um, guys, welcome to the show. Mike Boehner, how are you today, sir? I'm great, Rex. Thanks for having me on. Man, I've uh, wanted to have you on for a while now because uh, we we kind of share some mutual interest, which uh, starting with the cars that we drive, 67 Camaros, and um, and then even more so a similar mentality, which we will dig into. But uh, maybe for our listeners, start us off and, and help us understand a little bit how you got into drag racing, Mike, and um, you know where where your program's at today. Well, I I got started drag racing uh, through my dad. My dad started back in 1982. I was about five years old then. And he just bought a, basically a stripped down, gutted out 67 Camaro, which happens to be the same car I drive today. Uh, so he just bracket raced it for a few years and uh, then bought a Super Gas Vega and then sold that and bought a Super Comp Dragster. And when he got the Super Comp car, I turned 16 and I got to start driving it some, uh, a little bit here and there with him. And so kind of just jumped into this with two feet once once my dad started, I was hooked. It doesn't take much, does it? I mean, honestly, we talk about this all the time. But uh, man, once once you see the car go down the track a couple times, and and uh, you know, certainly if you strap yourself in, you, hooked is the right word, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, for me, it was. I mean, when my dad picked up that car, uh, that Camaro back in 82, he put me in this uh, seat to steer it as him and a couple guys pushed it up onto a trailer. And I think at that moment on, I was hooked. I feel like that's like I had a similar story and I feel like that might as well be a needle. Right. It might as well be a needle in terms of the the addiction that is drag racing, because, man, what you're a little kid and you're grabbing that steering wheel. Holy Moses. Like, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was sticking a needle in my arm. I eat, sleep, breathe everything with this sport. Yeah, and um, and y- you've gone so far into develop a, um, I would guess it's a racing school. Talk a little bit about On the Stop. Yeah, On the Stop Workshop is a private Facebook group where we've got uh, subscribers that uh, – join our group and just for $12 a month, they get to be a part of this private Facebook group. And we are uh, throttle stop specific uh, with our group is, and we just try to help racers uh, any way we can, whether it's the way their car launches. Uh, we try to help them with graphs to make the car work a little better. The whole idea is just to, to help people at a very, very low cost. Yeah. I mean that uh, it, I was, um, Somebody thought I, I I liked roadsters, and so I didn't get accepted when I tried to get into your group at one time, Mike. But uh, but I do know that for our super gas racers out there, the on-stop workshop is as good as it comes. Well, we're trying. I mean, we're new. We're we're kind of learning as we go, and we're just trying to figure things out as we go. But I feel like the feedback so far has been pretty good, and. We launched it at the end of last race season, so that's and that was kind of intentional. We didn't want to get overwhelmed, so we thought uh, a lot of people are putting their cars away at that time, and we kind of wanted to grow slowly so we could control it and have an idea and not get overwhelmed with the amount of members. And I feel like it's been a, a good learning curve for for us. And when I say us, our group is not just me. The, I'm not the only guy a part of on the stop workshop. We're a big group of people, including Dean. Dean's a big part of that as well, and uh, several other uh, companies and racers that are a big part of that. Yeah, I think uh, Dean was actually uh, the guy that said, "Hey, it's it, Rex is probably okay. You can probably let him in your group." But uh, uh, before <laughs> before we get to Dean and talk uh, a lot about chassis building. Um, you've got an interesting story with the car that you've won so much in. Walk us through the, the evolution of that car. So like I had mentioned earlier, uh, my dad bought that car back in 82 and it was just a gutted out street car with big old shackles under it and the rear tires sticking way outside the rear quarters and kind of goofy looking if you look back on it now, but uh, he, he only ran that car for about four years and he sold it to a real close family friend of ours. And that's when the car really started making some changes. Uh, that friend of ours, uh, built himself a home built, uh, mild steel chassis and raced it for quite a while. And that way, and decided he wanted to build a new car with a chromoly chassis. So I had the chance to buy that car back in 2004 and I raced it sometimes kind of part-time. I kind of took some time off over the years just to focus on life. And I got married and realized I was 
responsible for somebody other than myself. <laughs> so I tried to make a few smart moves and put the race car aside for a while. But I think it was 2012. We we parked the car and I came across uh, a Jerry Haas uh, Daytona that was wrecked and took a few measurements and I we decided I think we can make this thing fit and uh, we fixed that chassis and put my Camaro body on it and, and after about two years of working on it uh, it's basically what you guys see now yeah it's impressive it's a it's a cool looking piece um, and and any um, racer can appreciate that um, certainly the iconic 67 Camaro but uh, also our next guest, uh, chassis builder Dean McIlvain from McIlvain Race Cars, um, he competes in top, uh, or I should say, super quick, super comp, and now top sportsman. Uh, Dean, you've you've put your hands on that car as well. I have. Yep. Uh, we we uh, we got that go to Jeffers built car, and it come to us, and we fit the Hemi and everything for the Wheatcraft family at Indy Cylinderhead, and uh, got to wheel it a little bit. Uh, which is just awesome. Uh, did some 470 racing with it. it. It's a really good time. Um, that's the Pro Charger setup. Is that is that the, what I understood? Yep, that's right. Yep, we did a 540 Hemi with a Pro Charger. It's all stuff that you can call Indy Cylinder Head and buy today. Uh, it's nothing exotic or special. It's shelf products, so uh, it's a really cool deal. It makes a bunch of power. I think it's been 443 so far with probably a decent amount more left in it so i would say like that that setup seems like um the 470 stuff which i i think is really cool i really dig the 470 index stuff uh stuff that jeff walls and those guys are doing over there at verge motorsports but um man 470 seems like uh barely barely getting that thing going like it feels like it would have a, a lot left into it yeah, we uh, we actually struggled a little detuning it. Um, we we it's it's a turbo four hundred setup, so it's a three speed, mm -hmm. and uh, we got enough shift out of it that it actually would struggle to get on top of the tire. So we've learned some stuff, uh, and we learned that that's not what to do. It makes it a little hard to drive, but uh, man, it, it it I think the second or first qualifying run I made it, and I went four seventy with a two. So. I thought, geez, this is nothing but beginner's luck. I feeling like that we were, I was like 003, 70 with a two. It was like, let's race. The drag so. racing gods, Dean. I talk about this all the time. Our long time, like, but the drag racing gods hook you. They will. They would they yeah. go down and they'll it's, hook you. It's for sure like golf, right? <laughs> right. Like you can be horrible for, I don't know how many holes, but then you have one hole, you play really, really well. And you're like, I think I figured this out. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. 25 years later, I'm still trying to hit the ball hard again, man. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, but so, and you, so you've been doing that, but you longtime competitor and super comp and super quick. Um, yes. to, how did you get into this though? Like, I mean, uh, you know, you're doing your chassis building at a high level. Now you're, you've built at this point, multiple world championship cars. Um, how, how did all this originate? Well, honestly, um, I sort of fell in love with the sport much like everyone else, you know, I went to my first drag race in like 1992 and said, man, I love this. I think I need to do this. So, I set out looking for a car and, and found a car and built my first car and, and then fell in love with the process of that. So, 
uh, it all started, you know, for me, uh, way back in, uh, I think I raced for the first time in like 95. Um, and then once that car was out, you know, people started to see like, Hey, who did this? And it was like, well, I did it. And so then that sort of started the way, can you do this for me? And so much like most guys, I think, you know, this started in my garage at home and it has slowly developed into that's not big enough. And, uh, <laughs> I worked for like 10 years at Wright Patterson air force base as a welder and uh, machinist and, and did this sort of on the side and, uh, they started talking about moving that deal to China Lake and, and downsizing. And I said, you know, I, I really think I want to try this. So about nine years ago, I jumped and I left there on a Friday and started work at McIlvain race cars on a Monday and haven't looked back Been chasing the dream ever since. Yeah. You've been, you've been building some beautiful stuff um, and stuff that works obviously. Um, but, uh, what's, what's filling up your shop right now? I know you've, you've kind of prided yourself on doing a little bit of everything. What's, what's filling up the shop right now? Uh, at the moment, um, there's a couple door cars. Uh, there's, as I like to say, multiple roadster things going on. Um, okay. Thanks for coming on, Dean. Um, we'll, uh, get back to you if you ever need you again. Yeah. See you, Dean. <laughs> Come on guys. Don't hate on the roadsters. Uh, honestly our our deal is is pretty much anything for the sportsman racer uh we do from junior dragster um all the way up i think the only thing i haven't touched at this point in my uh hopefully young career is top alcohol dragster i have welded on top alcohol funny car for someone um so i don't know i I may just try to uh, bum around the alcohol pits just so i can check that off my list but um, yeah, pretty much anything sportsman related. I mean, from bracket stuff to junior dragsters to super comp cars. Uh, we got a car in Canada that's going three nineties and sixteens in the dragster world. Uh, you name it. I think, you know, we're not afraid of the challenge. That's for sure. Right. And Dean, you're, you're building most of these cars from scratch, right? You've, you've got your own, um, like you're, you're building dragsters, um, uh, from the ground up, you're building door cars, uh, juniors from the dra- ground up, correct? I mean, you've got your own stuff yep. that you're adding to it that makes it a McIlvain race car. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, as much as we, we got a door car that's going to be coming out for super street and it's our first attempt at a single shock door car. I'm pretty excited oh. about that. Um, as much as you don't want to hear me say it, the the roadsters we build are single shot cars, much like our dragster. Uh, so we do it a little different th- than the traditional stuff. Um, but that being said, that you know we, we try to we, we try to set things up the best that we think they can be. But we're also very open minded and uh, very much uh, try to build a car custom around each customer as we do it. So uh, yeah, that, that we're doing it. We're just trying to do it a little different if we can. Well, listen, you know that I have a bunch of respect for what you do. Like the stuff that um, you put out is unbelievable. But let me ask you this because I just don't know the answer. What's the benefit of going to a single single shock a door car or a roadster? Well, in, in all honesty, it started for me with the dragsters. And, and that was, you know, early on, we did a lot of repair work. And I can't tell you how many guys would bring me stuff and – they would complain about it's doing this or doing that. And, you know, one of the first things that we do is, well, when's the last time the shock's been looked at? Have they ever been rebuilt? Mm -hmm. And you pull the things off and one of them is obviously got issues. 
And so I, I feel like the single shock deal simplifies that. If you have one and it goes bad, you're going to know. And wow. it's less cost, it's less weight. And so those are the added uh, benefits, in my opinion, over the, the two shock setup. Some people argue, you know, that till, till the day's end, and, and that's okay. You know, it takes all different views to make the world spin. But uh, I really, really like that setup, and we've worked really, really hard on ours to uh, more or less have what we feel is a very wide tuning window where, you know, the world doesn't have to be perfect in order for you to have a really good car. And, and so that, that's our approach on it. Um, it works so well in the dragster. We thought, why not try it in the roadster? And so far we've had, you know, excellent results with that as, you know, Rob uh, cracked them for the championship this year in division three. And, and uh, we got Troy Stone going wide open with his and bracket racing it and doing well. And so, yeah, we're, we're pretty stoked about the results we've gotten so far. Well, I, I, applaud you for doing that of course the world is not all as well because we've got way too many roadsters running around um that is a real problem for me i think it's a real problem for mike as well um but i will say this dean i appreciate you coming on and trying to defend and you've done a good job so far you're trying to defend what i think is the indefensible with roadsters um Mike, I'm going to I'm going to give you the floor a little bit here uh because I know you feel the same way I do. Um <clears throat> what in general terms or what's the the number one thing that jumps out when you when you think of a roadster and what uh really boils your blood? What where do you start with? They're fake. They're not even a real car. Bam. I don't have to think about it much more. Like <laughs> Okay, so I have a fiberglass doors. I got a fiberglass front end on my car, but it's still a Camaro. Everybody knows it. It's, it everybody in the stands that does, I mean, there's, let's be honest. There's not very many people sitting in the stands watching a Supergrass car go down the racetrack unless they really like the class. Mm -hmm. But if somebody, you know, from the neighborhood just happens to see a Supergrass Corvette, they're like, huh, what is that? I don't know. I don't like that. I think it's kind of dumb. Well, I, listen, I'm going to try. I was, I'm going to try so hard. I, um, and Dean, I apologize. I was going to try to be the official here. Uh, but I, but I, <laughs> you know, be kind of a neutral, be Switzerland. That said, I can't do, I can't even do it on this first one because that's always been my point is um, we have a, what I would consider a smaller window for air in the sport of drag racing when it comes to new eyeballs. Um, we need to make it less confusing, not more confusing. And so when we have things like roadsters running around out there, uh, I think it makes it a little more confusing for new eyeballs, and I don't like it. I don't know. You you just have to have the right package. That's all. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm kind of gonna say I don't disagree. You know, when you get one that has, you know painted on headlights and you know the taillights aren't really there and so on and so forth but i think if you put all the real stuff in place i think it are pretty awesome i think they can be pretty cool well dean let me ask you this what um version of roadsters have you been building mostly and i'm obviously that comes from what your customers want but what's the you know, newer corvettes older corvettes what do, what do they want for the most part 
we've done mainly the new C. Well, not the new now C eights out, but we we've done mainly C seven Corvettes and and uh, we've done a few uh, sixty seven Camaros as well. Gross. It's so gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like Mike, can you imagine? I mean, like, well, here's my thing. Like, here's what I mean, I've also said. According, in fairness, according to what Mike said, he just cracked like seventy-five to eighty percent of top sportsmen and all of pro stock, all of pro modified. Yeah, but they look like technically they're all fiberglass cars with very few real parts. top sportsman cars. You can I can still tell what a top sportsman Camaro is. And I think everybody out there can too. Yeah. Now I will give you this: the pro stock cars—they just as well be funny cars, with no blowers on them and no nitro. Right. Yeah. The one that kind of got but, me was uh, what do you remember? Um, I think it was Harold Martin. Is that the guy who used to run the pro mod car that was uh, a Corvette? Yeah, I don't know what that thing was called? But right, it was it a was, Corvette ish, right? Corvette, right? Yeah, and but it was just a big uh, cone half cone or something ultimately yeah. i mean what it was and that 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 kind of always spun me a little bit too yeah they're thinking outside the box and there's not even being in the same neighborhood <laughs> right. Right. right that was definitely way outside the box in my opinion yes um well let me ask you this um because i don't think i know the answer but i know what was when was the last real roadster manufactured and rolled off an assembly line like that that's not well, a I uh, I don't, it's not a 67 Camaro I don't know um, I mean 1934 I think they're calling the new C8 the convertible aren't they calling it a roadster are they really what about the um, what, it, what the Prowler? Wasn't that a Prowler? The Plymouth Prowler? Wasn't that a, a roadster that like legit rolled off the um, assembly line? Yeah it was. It was quite hilarious. They yep. had to have fenders to be street legal. <laughs> right, right. And somebody like was a little motorcycle fender on the front, right? And somebody was running in yep. super gas, and it looked. I, I was like, okay, I can Still get. Is. I can get It's board. awesome. Yeah, Craig Maddox out of uh, Sydney, Nebraska. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, thank you because Very cool car. yeah, that I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get down with those because that's that rolled off the assembly line like that but i do i as a person i who, can't give craig a hall pass on that one though i can't do it <laughs> you can't i know craig very well i can't no nope. i know that was still a re- it's basically a real car but it's still a roadster i can't give it a pass all right well listen it's so I, cookie cutter all those roadsters they're cookie cutter we already have a cookie cutter class and they call it super comp they're all dragsters Oh, and it's, super gas is becoming that. That's what I don't like about it. That's my hate for roadsters. But um, Mike, it's you have cool. you you've it's done good. very well in. I mean, specifically division seven, but you've you've done very well in that class without a roadster. What what do you think the percentage of roadsters to door cars is at this point? Oh, geez, I don't know. I'd hate to even make a guess. Um, Sixty forty, I mean, well over fifty. Yeah, I was gonna say it's got to be. It's well over fifty percent, but I don't know if it's quite seventy five. So yeah, you might be fair. Sixty forty. Yeah, I'd say sixty forty is fair. And um, given the fact that you know we've got a guy in in Mike Banner that has won multiple division championships in a door car. 
What do you think their argument is at this point? Like it's it's clearly not helping them beat uh, you, Mike. And um, I mean, what do you think their argument is? And let's not go say, oh, well, that's what oh, Luke uses man. to win his championship. I mean, come on now. Like uh, Luke's winning well, everything. So Luke's going to build whatever tool is best for the job. And I'll play Switzerland for you in just a bit. We can come back to this if you want. And I'll play Switzerland for you. And you probably should because I'm not doing a very good job of it right now. So go on, yes. <laughs> but so I don't I don't know where were we going with this, but Luke's gonna build the best tool possible, no matter what. I don't think he cares. And let's be honest, I mean there's there's no windshield, there's no visibility problems in a roadster, so that's what he's gonna build. And good for him. I mean yeah. if I had the budget to build that, I would probably build that too. But yeah, I don't. So I, um, I I want them all uh, outlawed. I want them all outlawed. I really do because <laughs> um, I want I want people to show up and go. Oh yeah, that's a that's a car that I you know saw driving down the street last week or whatever. And um, here here's the other thing that really. Um, and Dean, I, I need your help on this because I need educated on this. So at one point I was having my chassis inspected and I'm not going to say his name, but he, his name was illuminated per se. Um, and so maybe you can follow me that way, but, um, head of a major association, um, and he had an illuminating uh, name. So he told me one time, he said, the reason why I'm not going to cert this car to 750 is because it needed gussets on the, uh, what would be the uh, A-pillar um, a bracket. Um, does that make sense? Like okay. on the A-pillar up to the, the ceiling and the roof yep. there. And he said that needed a gusset. And so it wasn't, we were trying to get it from 850 to 750. And he didn't like the way that was done. I mean, then that afternoon I saw a roadster that doesn't even have that bar. Like it didn't, that bar doesn't even exist. It was certed 750. So as a chassis builder, help me understand how um, that bar in a door car could be wrong and couldn't be certified, but one that's not even there in a Roadster could certify it to 750. And I'm not sure if I made my argument correct or not, but that's what I'm trying to get to. I got you. Um, so the, that's the tough part for, for guys that are building cars is the, the SFI book sort of spells it out for us. It's our roadmap, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and, it just comes down to the way that the SFI spec is written for the door car versus the roadster. Um, you know, I don't disagree that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, in all honesty, the roadster's kind of a crossbreed between door cars slash dragster, et cetera. Uh, so I understand the hate on that portion of it. They're not the easiest cars to build, to be quite honest. Uh, they're pretty complex. Um, but how I mean, so you know, dig into that, Dean, why do you say that? Cause that's an interest. I wouldn't have guessed that you say, well, that. The, the spec is, the spec is actually like, if you open the spec for a 10.4 roadster, there, there is literally like three or four configurations that you can build it that would, they will technically deem it legal. Um, and none of them are relatively close to one another. Um, 
And the biggest changes on the door car stuff is more or less like where the driver sits, whether he sits in front of the main hoop, sits behind it, under it. But the variations of how the door bracing's done, so on. So all that's exactly the same on the door car side. But on the roadster side, it's not super clear cut. Like there's a lot of different ways you can get there. Mm. And so, you know, as the chassis builder, I feel like we get a little bit more uh, put on us to try to build what we think is the safest setup. So, um, from that aspect, and and because it's not clear cut, then you can actually use a variation of three or four of the different versions and put them together and be okay. Or it has to meet this one or it's just, it's confusing if you're not careful. So, um, but we, we're, we're lucky cause we have, you know, the division tech guy is, uh, or our division tech director is the guy that starts all our cars. And so, you know, before I ever built the first one, him and I have a lot of long conversations about how do I go about doing this and it be right and be okay. And, uh, all before the first car ever got the first two put in it. So it's their world. If you're going to play in their playground, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure you jump through the hoops. So yeah, that makes and, some sense. And, and it's for good reason. It's for good reason. I mean, they're, they, they want people to be safe and there not be any issues if mm-hmm. something bad happens and Lord knows that that can happen at any minute. So man, we take that very serious. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you telling me Dean that, um, that roadsters probably more so than your average door car or, or dragster are are kind of easily um, identified by by builder to builder I mean, because everybody has a little more leeway in how they can do things well i think they can be um you know the the the, the neat part of that is though we all kind of deal with the same body manufacturers so you know from the common person standpoint really can't tell them apart uh, from the builder portion of it other than some subtle styling changes that you know some of us try to do that are slightly different than everyone else as far as cockpit opening stuff like that but um, beyond that it's kind of a world where they're all kind of equal on that playing field and then you know how each builder does the underneath part is what I hope will you know make everyone stand apart so to speak I got you I got you. That that makes sense. Um, well, you know, here here's my thing. I um, I understand the utility of a roadster. I understand the legality of the roadster. Um, but because of the two things that I've I've talked about, in the fact that it it it's a goofy looking thing, and that the you know new eyeballs aren't going to understand what the heck a roadster is, or they're going to look at it and go. I mean, is it, was it half completed or something? Um, uh, it, from that standpoint, um, I, here, what I would like is for all the Roadster uh, cars to to get all in one track and then do one of those figure eight races is what I'd like them to do. Is that? That would be awesome. Like, I mean, I feel like that's the best solution for all of us. Yeah, I don't really. That would be great. I would. I could go for that. Dean, you I, feel I, I feel like that's a I good idea? So. No, I think it's a horrible idea. They're not made for running into each other. They're made for going straight. Oh, okay. All right. Well, if you say so. Um, and you're... they go straight so well. They go straight so well that seven out of the top ten in the nation are roadsters. Oh, bringing bringing some data. Okay, I like it. Do a little homework. 
Bro, you did a little homework, Dean McIlvain. Okay, I like yeah. it. Now I feel dumb. Reigning world champion. I don't have any Roadster. analytics brought into this show. Division champion, Roadster. I'm uh, just saying. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's fair. They're, they're winning. They're winning. In super gas, I agree. I, I agree they they're are winning. They're winning in super gas. Yeah, that's, there's some truth to that. Um, yeah, so, um, and how... Well, okay. So, of seven of the top ten, all right. Yep. Um, and how many of those are yours, Dean? Yeah. Um, actually, two. I have a door car and a roadster in the top ten. So, in fairness, yep. I'm fifty-fifty. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, that makes sense to me. That um, yeah. So I'm I'm just gonna keep rolling with the door cars. I'm just I hope I hope you can get on board with that. <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong. I don't hate them. I don't hate them. <laughs> In fact, we have one that is done outstanding, and I'm very proud of it. Yeah, no, you you've done some excellent work, and and uh, you know my personal hope is that you do a, a little more on the top sportsman side because obviously that's where um, I get really excited, and and the stuff you did for. Um, well, you know, uh, for the indie cylinder head guys, man, that it's uh, it's impressive. Yeah, I, I, hey, we're we're down to do you know whatever it it doesn't matter and yeah, I, Chris was my very first customer ever at my garage at my house and we put his neon together and that car's he's run four sixties four seventies I think for twenty some years now and he's won lots of championships in that car and and uh, you know it started a an awesome friendship with us and um, yeah so I'm sure there's more top sportsman stuff coming out of out of the McIlvain shop you know, in due time and pretty excited about that as well. I like it. Um, uh, well, I appreciate both your inputs on that because, uh, th- that was, I think it was fair and balanced. I think that was pretty fair. I, I stayed as neutral as I could. Um, you know, I, I don't get to do that all the time and nor do I want to stay neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, those longtime listeners know that, uh, I'm not afraid to share my opinion. And so I, you know, just me being neutral didn't work very well, but uh, let's let's look a little forward looking here, Mike. You've done some some work to your car over the off season, even though I think it, you were pretty happy with the performance. But you did some work to that. Tell us a little bit about what you did over the off season to your car. Well, the last couple of years, <clears throat> excuse me, his my biggest weakness has been reaction times and just trying to get a little heavier car moving and and I've been. And some of this is my own fault, I'll admit. I've been really stubborn when we built this car. I did not want a chassis guy to set this car up for me because I wanted to learn it. I wanted to know how to make this car work all on my own. But mm-hmm. the last couple of years, I've kind of reached out a little bit more, recognizing my weakness. And it's been reaction time since moving this car into super gas. And Dean's been a big, big part of that. And that's actually what started my relationship with Dean is just reaching out to him and trying to figure out how we can make this car better. And so this year we, we did a whole bunch of things. We made, we rescaled it. We made some bar changes and made a strut change, a front spring change, a rear gear converter. We did everything. I threw a ton at it. I feel like one or two things wasn't going to be good enough. I threw everything at it. So here we are. I, I think we made the car way better, and now all of a sudden our tree changed, and it didn't need to be changed. I didn't need to do all this stuff. Right. I'm still okay with it. I still think we made the car better, so I'm, I'm still happy we did it. 
Yeah, for those of you that aren't following along um, in the NHRA Super Class, well, in Super Gas, then they 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 changed it and gave you the LED compensation. So, little heavier cars um, have a chance at reacting better, and because it was really a 370 tree, and now it's a true, um, you know, four tenths tree now, which is which is interesting. Because how much does your car weigh, Mike? Uh. I think that the end of last year it was twenty five seventy three. Isn't that what the scale said, Dean? I, think I believe twenty five seventy three. Yeah. So um, I guess you could go on a diet, right? That would help the cause. But um, otherwise, you know, you can change stuff around. And it sounds like you could have uh, you you made that thing react a little bit better, which is probably what three hundred plus pounds heavier than most of the roadsters that you're racing against. Does that sound about right? I know they can go down to yeah, 2100, but are they getting down to 2100 now, Dean? Um, I'm sure there's some out there that are, but I mean, we live in the world where everybody wants onboard air compressors and yeah, working headlights and taillights, and so I, 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 I challenge if that's potentially a real thing to get to anymore. But I think average is probably somewhere between 2250 and 2350. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, Mike, you've done a lot of work uh, to your car, and and you are ready to put it to the test this weekend, correct? That's correct. I literally, just a couple minutes before we picked up this call, I pulled into a stack in Pomona for the Winter Nationals. I like it. I like it. So uh, this weekend kicks you off, and, um, and you, you've had a little bit of testing. You like where the car's at, right? Yeah, I had some good results. The car was kind of a handful and a little bit of a mess when I first uh, made a few passes, but I actually ended up testing at a Arizona Super Gas Association race and uh, kind of got the car sorted out good enough to somehow find a way into the winter circle at the end of the day, so not a not a bad way to start. I like it, yeah. So go, go get them this weekend um, to keep that thing rolling and and uh, hopefully all those changes you made over the winter, they are working out and make that car, uh, you know, really uh, better in, in a way that uh, you you wanted it to go. Dean, what uh, what what is on tap for you? I know you've got a busy summer. You've got a full shop of cars, uh, but you also want to race a little bit yourself. What what's on tap for you? Yeah, um, we're we're. Uh... We're, we're uh, going to do pretty much the same as what we have been doing. Um, and, and that's, you know, divisionally, nationally, some super comp stuff. Uh, I'll chase some JEG stuff. I am definitely going to try and uh, get to some of the verge races and run some heads up 450. And if the opportunity's there to drive the CUDA again, for sure, uh, helmet will be in hand. I, I very much enjoyed that. And, uh, but yeah, that, that's the plan. And, and then hopefully I'll have, uh, I'll say some kind of car in super gas maybe for next season. I don't know. We'll see how the summer goes as far as business goes, as far as busy. But uh, that's my dreams is I want to get something together and get in super gas as well. So time will tell. We'll see. Dean, tell me, what, what car are you going to build? Or if you if you could do it, what are you going to do? Like Just, just drop it on my head right tool. now. I'm going to build the proper tool for the class. Oh, my goodness. That's all. Sheesh. All right. Hey, you never know. You never know. Um, Okay. Well, um, you know what? You break my heart, sir. You break my heart. But, but, you know, I I get it. I still love you. I still love you, but you're breaking my heart with that comment. (laughs) Hey, 
when you build this stuff, you know, you want to make there there are ways to make it cool. I, I get it. It's not for everybody. I, I can appreciate that. It's all good. <laughs> Guys, girls, uh, we had two great guests, uh, Mike Boehner, um, going and continuing to kill it uh, out in Division Seven land in this super gas world. A little bit, a little bit out of the groove for us, but great stuff nonetheless today. And we really appreciate Dean McIlvain, uh, super comp, super quick, uh, four seventy driver, and man unbelievable chassis car builder here in the midwest appreciate him doing the indefensible which is trying to defend roadsters it's ridiculous he did a he did a decent job though i think i think we're all going to agree dean you did an uh admirable job of trying to defend those grotesque things um but uh so nicely done to both of you guys uh mike rooting for you dean thanks so much for coming on um and rooting for you as well Guys, I hope you both have a great season. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you, Rex. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, Fellas, go get them and uh, let us know how it goes, right? Will do. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Thanks for coming on, and, and we will have you back soon. half track report is brought to you by dragracelawyer.com like it always is like it always has been for your high horsepower legal needs get to dragracelawyer.com hey there was actually some racing action this past weekend it was at the nhra division two event in cecil georgia Um, There were, on the top dragster side, there were 23 cars that showed up. Your number one qualifier was Steve Furr um, from Harrisburg, North Carolina. He goes 312 with a, or three, 612 with a three at 218 miles an hour for the top spot. Um, The 23rd car was Brett Farmham. He is uh, 743. But ultimately, in the final round, it is Jeremy Hancock with the win over Steve Furr. Um, Steve Furr goes to the final round but uh, runs into a buzzsaw. Jeremy Hancock, 12 on the tree, dead 8, 20 total. Uh, Steve was uh, 13 on the tree, so had himself a shot. But his uh, 6.15.2 on a 6.14 dial um, just got him not quite enough for Jeremy Hancock. Man, what a, what a pass. 6.92.8 on a 6.92 for Jeremy Hancock. Uh, he gets the win light and wins his third Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. So congrats to Jeremy Hancock on the win in top dragster. Now on to the door car side um, for top sportsmen. There were 15 cars that showed up. Your number one qualifier was Jackie Bennett. Um, Jackie goes 636.7 at 220 miles an hour for the top spot. And in the final round for top sportsmen, it is... 
Cole Prejean, he wins over Bruce Duncan. Cole is a deadly 003. Runs a uh, 7-13-8 on a 7-10 dial. Had a little bit of room on Bruce Duncan's light because he was a little bit late. Um, so congrats goes to Cole Prejean. He's... Um, he uh, has, I mean, an unbelievable light, just nails in the final, um, and he wins his second Luxor Drag Racing Series Wally. So congrats to Cole um, and everybody else that made it down and started the season off um, down in South Georgia Motorsports Park. Um, next week, we will have NHRA action from Pomona. Oh, let's get out of the groove for just one second and talk about sick week that just wrapped up. Um, this is becoming pretty wild, actually. Um, these drag and drive events are getting more and more popular. Um, we have the event that kind of kicked off the year for that stuff. Of course, drag week is the really the Super Bowl of that type of stuff, I believe, um, but... Uh, Sick Week, Rocky Mountain Drag Week, the Midwest Drag Week, all that stuff is is getting more and more popular. There were 350 plus cars that entered for Sick Week down there. Uh, started in Bradenton, went to Orlando, Gainesville, then uh, South Georgia Motorsports Park, then came back towards Gainesville to finish it up. Um, and man, like what a group and, and a good time to be down there, I suppose as well. But these events continue to be more and more popular. And I am telling you, they are just a bunch of transformers. They are street cars or trucks hauling their little trailers behind them. And all of a sudden when they pull into the gates, they transform into six-second race cars. It's unbelievable. I have a lot of respect for all the people that do that at a high level. And man, oh man, what a uh, good turnout they had. Really excited. That is really the inaugural event down there. I'm expecting Tom Bailey and crew to continue that action down there. Keep it rolling. And man, like with any luck that will just keep getting bigger and better uh, man it's kind of on my bucket list at this point to do that that or cannonball run i don't know one of the two uh, but uh, man it is um, it's a good time those guys worked their butts off i know but man it it uh, even you know worked through the rain the one day but a good event that sick week stuff and i would expect there to be more and more of these type of events it is uh, really fascinating to me um, from, you know, we, we do a pretty good job of keeping our stuff in trailers and, and rolling it out to make very specific passes. But those guys give them a lot of credit for making do, making fixes in unideal situations in order to keep those cars moving. And uh, they wrapped it up. They wrapped up the inaugural event of six week. Uh, doing it uh, very, very well, in my opinion. So congrats to everyone who hauled down there, made made the laps, and uh, made it through because uh, really good stuff, really good stuff, and something we'll probably have to dig into a little bit more as the season goes along. 
as we hit the mile per hour cone, I just need to say this. I spent a weekend not too long ago at the drag strip operators meeting and expo. So that is the dome. Drag strip operators meeting and expo. It was a group of drag strip operators, um, some vendors. Um, we I spoke on behalf of Winlight Bets and talked to those guys about all the revenue that drag strip operators can bring to the table uh, with their with that venture and adding that to their list. But also, I just want to say that it, those jobs, those jobs of running those tracks are no joke. So be kind is all I have to say. There's a lot of action that goes into it. I knew it was a lot of work to run a drag strip. I did not know there was that much involved with it. And to be honest, there's just a lot of ways for things to go wrong. So um, if you're at the drag strip and something is not quite going right, um, I would say this. Uh, be kind, take a deep breath, and you know try to work with your track operator as much as possible because they have a lot of action going on. So um, congrats to those that went there to the drag strip operators meeting and expo. Uh, congrats to those who are planning to attend next year because it will be even bigger and better, and I think it is good for the sport. Let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 93. And there it is. There's the wind light. That's exactly what we are looking for. Nicely done, produce. Of course, we're going out in a blaze of glory. I love it. Let's do this, man. Rock and roll at its finest. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. Um, nicely done. Uh, we had some great guests on this week. First of all, Michael Boehner. He is your Division Seven Super Gas Champ out there, and smartly. He's an anti-roadsterist, which uh, I have a big affinity for. And then Dean McIlvain from McIlvain Motorsports. He is a world-class chassis builder and an all-around good dude for trying to defend those monsters. Uh, so that was just a great conversation. Um, the, whole, the whole show was great. We had a lot of action and, man, ready to kick this season off. If you have comments, questions, or curse words, you know there are three ways to get at me. One is on the Facebook page using Messenger. We had a very nice comment this week from uh, a new listener in Australia. Really excited to get uh, the word spread in that great country. Um, the other way is, you know, you can probably catch me um, catch me uh, in the gym. I'm trying to get my workouts in so I can look buff for this summer um, out on the track. And you can use the email fast brackets at outlook.com guys girls i hope you enjoyed it keep the rubber side down and travel safe
Hey, Rex. I was just thinking we need to make sure that we uh, put Sick Week on the uh, calendar for next year. We got to make it down there and see some of that racing. I think you're right. Um, that that is that that's really an interesting thing that has really uh, gained a lot of popularity here lately. And it, the reason is because it's cool as can be, man. Like a, a rough week for those competitors, brother. They're they're not. Uh, not in it for the lighthearted, that's for sure, but it looks like a great time. And, uh, man, how about being in Florida in uh, early February instead of the snow of Indiana, right? I'd like to go see that next year. Let's uh, let's get your uh, get get it going. What are, what are we going to um, take down there, Chris? Um, we got a uh, got something in the mix for us to uh, run down there. Do we need to get something in the chassis shop here starting right now so we're ready for it? Man, oh man. Today's episode was brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high-quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer manufacture and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, 
they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products.